You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Gina Apostle. Gina, thanks so much for being with me today. Thanks so much for having me, Brainerd. Gina, we're going to talk about your, your, your work, your books, your writing, um, what you're involved in now. But, of course, it's also September 8th in 2021. We're just, uh, I'd like to say, coming out of the pandemic, but it's more like we're, we're going through another kind of transition. Um, how has, where are you at the moment, and, and, and how has the, the pandemic affected your work? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. I just moved back to New York City to my apartment in New York City this week, and it's the first time I'm returning to the city after um, leaving it in March 2020, 2020 um, when the um, pandemic uh, began and, uh, and my school shut down. So I ended up teaching remotely for more than a year um, in Western Massachusetts where my partner lives, and that's where I taught. That's where I, I actually did do a, a lot of work. <laughs> I did a lot of um, writing because I think that's what you do. That's what I do when I'm in, when I'm under stress. Right, right, and, and, and we certainly were under that. So, um, so the the pandemic and the pressure of it and the stress of it um, created more writing. You think, or or, or different kind yeah. of? Yeah, um, I actually um, I. I always hesitate to say this because it sounds like a flex that is not really. Um, I, I finished a novel um, during the pandemic. Um, it's a novel that I had begun a while ago. I stopped writing it. And then during the pandemic, I figured out, I thought that this was the way I was going to go. I went into a completely different direction with the novel and a novel that was originally about two brothers. Um, during the Philippine-American War and during the early days, early years of the American occupation, who were, one of them was uh, revolutionary, one of them was a collaborator with Americans, one of them was going to die. That was the original story. The novel ended up being a novel about my mom. It was a novel mourning my mother. But it had the same two brothers in it. So it was, it was an odd thing to do, but I kept working and working on this novel that um, in a time of stress, in a time of, you know, really unimaginable loss for the world, especially for Filipinos. I write about the Philippines um, under the pandemic and under a dictatorship um, and the sense of, of helplessness um, and grief, to be honest, um, made me, I think, really work hard on this novel that brought me back 20 years ago when my mother died. Hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that, because as you're saying, it's, of course, a, a unique situation um, in the pandemic in, in, in every country, but you're also saying uh, there, there, there was even, the situation was what had, had its own uh, difficulties because of, because of the government and, 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 and other things. Correct. Can you tell mm-hmm, yeah. me a little bit about that? Because it, it sounds like the, the suffering or the challenge there was, was different than it was in other parts of the world. 
Yeah, the Philippines has been under a dictatorship uh, under Rodrigo Duterte since Duterte came to power a few months before Trump's election. I always called the Philippine election, the election of Duterte, the um, the training ground for the use of uh, digital trolls, um, for the use of Cambridge Analytica shit, uh, Cambridge Analytica um, mechanisms to to get a strong man into power. Um, he became president a few months before Trump, and Trump used very similar Cambridge Analytica um, PR men, um, it seems, uh, uh, um, for his election. So the Philippines has, under, has been under this murderous regime. Uh, more than 30,000 people killed already by Duterte's um, so-called war on drugs, which has now become a war on communist, communists. Um, which is very much like the Marcos dictatorship during the Cold War era when the first dictator of the Philippines um, had a war on, commun- on communism supported by the U.S. regime. Now, so during the pandemic, you have someone who, who says outright, I will kill those who leave their homes during the pandemic. And so you have these, you know, outright arrests, some killing of people who are not following curfew. Um, oh, my God. Right, right. I'm so, I mean, it, it's, it was pretty bad. It's, it's been pretty bad. The Filipinos are, you know, they're very obedient. <laughs> you know, most Filipinos are very obedient in regards to curfew. And, and they, are, they, take the, they take the pandemic, they, they take COVID very seriously. Uh, common Filipinos. Most, uh, there's no Filipino who's going to say, I'm not going to wear my mask because, uh, because of my freedom. There's no such thing going on in the country. What we have is um, a person who uses fear tactics to keep people in power, and the pandemic has allowed him to, you know, to continue with those fear tactics. And so I'm here. I was very much isolated in Western Massachusetts, very much safe, very much um, uh, in a kind of haven for me, but you hear what's going on in the Philippines, um, and, you know, it's just, it's, um, it's this inner terror that you have of not being able to do anything, and um, I'm a writer, I'm a novelist, and I'm always thinking about my novels, and I do think that the world, the present world, does come into the world of writing that I do, which actually harks to the past. I'm all... I, Currently, I've been really looking at the Philippines, the Philippine-American War, the occupation of the Philippines by America early in the 20th century, America's first, you know, very, um, uh, I, I say, outrageous step into imperialism and colonizing uh, uh, a country across, across the Pacific. And um, so I've been looking at that. Um, so... It's the revolutionary history of the Philippines that has been intriguing me for a long time. And to see what the Philippines is right now, you know, a, a country with that history of resistance and um, revolution and, um, and, to be honest, democracy, because, in, in fact, democracy did, did, you know, install this dictatorship and power. Um, to see that country um, under the gun like this is really um, devastating. Yeah, that is devastating, and um, and so that is part of the writing that's in your in, in the novel that you've been working on. Is that novel completed now? 
Yeah, it is. Um, it's completed. I sent it to my agent. My agent sold it. It's going to be. It's going to come out um, January 2023, and you know, so next year will be a year of revision of the novel for publication. Very exciting. That's very exciting. And what other projects are you working on at the moment? I know you have your hands <laughs> in a lot of things, so don't hesitate to tell me all of them. Yeah, I. Um, yeah, I. During the pandemic, too, um, in twenty, it was supposed to come out um, uh, November. 2020, but it came out instead January 2021. Um, Soho has had bought my two earlier novels. So the first two novels that were published in the Philippines were bought by Soho Press, and they, one was supposed to come out 2020, the other was supposed to come out 2022. But so this time, the, the two novels, uh, one came out last January called The Revolution According to Raimundo Mata, and that was my second novel. It's about the Philippine War against Spain. So again, it's an earlier um, history, earlier than the American history that I've been writing about now. Um, and so that came out. So I was dealing with, um, during the pandemic, dealing with uh, the proofs of that novel, dealing with the... Uh, advertising for that novel, dealing with, the, um, with all the publishing work that you have to do. And the second thing is, this year, since my first novel, the, the first novel I ever wrote, um, which actually got me to the United States, it was the novel that I sent to um, this writer that I really like, John Barr. Um, so, and, that, and, and that got me into Hopkins. But this novel that I had... Um, begun so long ago called Bibliolepsy is coming out next January. So, so the same, you know, publishing uh, labor wheel of proofs and uh, copy edits and, um, and, you know, blurbs and, and advertising, you know, getting the bookstores and all of that. That's coming out for this, the past few months that's what I've been working for with Bibliolepsy, which is coming out in January. It's really exciting. It's very exciting to see these older books um, in the American market. That is exciting. And, um, and are there other projects you're involved in as well? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I'm always writing. I'm always um, working. I, I, what I do as a novelist is in my – in my in the novels that I'm writing, I'll put in little little Easter eggs, little eggs for me, little um, details that remind me that this is an idea I want to do. So um, there's been this. I've been putting in this story of um, a Filipino painter. He's called he's called a national painter. He wrote he did the um, the most famous work of art um, uh, that a Filipino painter has done for a Filipino called Spoliarium. Anyway, I learned that he killed his wife. <laughs> so I've been very interested in this wife for a long time. So the painter Juan Luna, I'm doing something where the wife, it was during the time that Freud uh, was studying hysteria, studying um, under this guy, Dr. Charcot, at the Salpêtrière in, in um, Paris. And that woman 
was also in Paris. She was a Filipino immigrant, very rich woman in Paris. And I'm pu- putting studies, studies in hysteria with Freud um, with this story of Filipino radicals and domestic abuse um, and art uh, in a novel. And so I'm, I'm only in the beginning stages. I'm just doing pre-writing research, <laughs> but, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> The research sounds fascinating. Uh, I oh, mean, I'm tracking the Freud and then and those influences. And yeah, hysteria. Freud and, and that radicalism. Sounds kind of, kind of, kind of gothic because yeah, there were. I mean, that was being used then also to kind of, um, uh, I don't know, get 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 rid of people. I remember, I remember hearing uh, stories of of people having their their wives committed for hysteria, and it was yeah. really a way of of kind of. Yeah. Um, you're like kind of erasing them, removing them. I mean, yeah. it was kind of extraordinary. Yeah. Wow. And clearly with this guy, it's, I mean, with Juan Luna, he's the hysterical one. I mean, he's the one who killed someone. But, yeah, you know, so what is it like for a woman who um, is trapped in that, in that condition, that situation of being the obedient, loving wife, being this, um, and, and, and if you read studies in hysteria, those women are more, the ones that 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 Breuer and Freud brought up, they're all educated. They they all had to care for men. They they were caregivers, like you know, sick men. Um, and but they were very well educated. This very famous one, Anna, um, she was the one who gave the, the term "talking cure" for the therapy. And she was German, but she could only speak English when she spoke when she did therapy when she was under hypnosis. So that kind of story for me is really interesting because wow. the Filipino situation, if you're a Filipino, you are always multilingual. You're taught in English, but you have your own language, and then, you're, and then you have to deal with the other languages of all the other Filipinos around you. I speak at the very least three languages and, and five if I'm pushed. You know? so, um, so that multilingual woman, Anna, is very interesting to me because that is um, a state, I think, of this Filipino woman that I'm looking at. She's, she's multilingual. She had to take care of her father. Not, then she's with this crazy husband. Anyway, so, um, so, so having the Filipino immigrant woman look at Freud, look at the radicals, look at... Um, Look at the uh, the this time of revolt and change and and changing notions of selfhood. Um, I think it's so. I mean, I'm so excited to be doing this novel and doing this research. It sounds just fascinating. I, I, I love talking about that. That that research is so interesting. And is there anything else you want to mention before we go that you're working on? I know you haven't mentioned everything, most likely. Um, <laughs> um, well. The fact that Bibliolepsy is coming out in January um, next year, I think that I think it would be lovely for people to pick that up. Um, my, the, the book that's coming out the, the January after that is called La Tercera, um, and yeah, that's it's also very exciting to um, to look forward to that. Um, I'll be doing a number of readings for Bibliolepsy definitely um, in, on beginning January 4. So that's, all of this is really so exciting because, you know, um, it's as if during the pandemic, 
I, I, I went through two full circles with these two novels that I had written so long ago. Um, and um, I had stopped writing for a long time after my first novel. Um, and to, to see all of this um, uh, coming, coming to fruition uh, at this point is, is really it's exciting for me, and I'm very uh, grateful that you're interested and um, the people at Yale might be interested in these stories. Hmm. Absolutely. Well, it's been it's, it's it's great to hear about all that, and I wish you uh, so much success on the, on the on the books next year. I want to ask you one more question, which is, what are you reading at the moment? Oh, oh, I'm reading, and it's actually weirdly, hugely pleasurable and immensely, um, uh, just an intense, immense pleasure. I'm reading Capital by Marx. <laughs> So um, I, I, for school, I had read early Marx. I read like philosophical Marx, but I'd never read Capital because I didn't have to. Um, so, so my so my Marx has been early Marx. Also, my Marx has been through Mao, through the Maoists, because the Filipino Communist Party is Maoist, and so a lot of our um, thinking about revolution in in modern Philippine times is through. Um, the Philippine Communist Party, which is which really is 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 more countryside into the cities. So, but right now I'm reading Marx, I'm reading Capital, and I just I love it. It's just um, I think the pandemic makes you want to really immerse 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 in something. And what Marx is, um, sadly, hugely um, relevant to everything, every single goddamn thing that's happening right now. Um, volume one starts with commodity and the fetish and goes on and talks about, you know, of the working hour and this concept that Marx has that, because all he does is talk about capitalism, that's all. This concept that, that the capitalist is a thief of time and that's mm-hmm. what he does. Um, says a lot, you know, there's a lot you can do with... Um, with Marxist thought right now, especially with what we know of different ways that a worker might be thinking about his or her life because of reflections on the difference between our exchange value, which is how we're seen through the capitalist lens, versus our use value, which is our being and the, and the kind of personhood that we are. And I think this is really key for me, recognizing that we're not exchange values we are. We are persons with bodies and flesh and mind, um, and that use value, that other aspect of value is, is who we are. Gina, thank you so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate your, your time and your work, and there will be links for everyone listening so they can learn more about your books. Thank you so okay, much. Okay, thank Gina. you so much. Thank you. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.